Hello and welcome to Audiobiography, the podcast where we talk about the music that changed our lives and yours. I'm your host, Richie Wagner, and today, uh, Robbie is actually in the room, but he is not on the microphone. I've got, uh, uh, I don't have very many friends that I've had for longer than this guy. His name's Ernie Dunn, and he's here to talk about Pearl Jam. What's up, Ernie? Hey, not much. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, this is really weird for me. Um, there was no intro music, so I'm kind of freaked out a little bit. <laughs> I know you had that later. Yeah, that all comes in later. We'll have to talk about that too, what we're going to do. So the first thing we got to get out of the way, Ernie, and me and Robbie do this every time because we always have a beer while we're drinking. So what are we, what are we drinking today? We are drinking Heady Topper from Vermont, I believe, by the uh, Alchemist Brewery. It's one of those filthy, dirty, hazy IPAs that all the chicks dig nowadays. Yeah, you'd had it and I hadn't, so you told me to be sure to not pour it in a glass because i might get grossed out and not it's, drink it. it's a little gross when you pour it in a glass there are some floaty chunks in it yeah and for those of you who don't know that's normal for this kind of beer but you just it's you don't want to see it you just want to taste it so that's what she said <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's a good beer i like it um but what we're going to do uh before i even get into these questions and and uh, I was good to Ernie. I actually sent him some questions ahead of time. He's not done this before, and it can be pretty nerve-wracking, especially when you get put on the spot. Right, Rob? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Rob's still here. So, um, I don't know. I think the best place to start is kind of your musical background, because we were talking about that a little bit before we went on the microphones here, because you have a completely different experience than, than Robbie and I do, and the whole point of this podcast is our musical experience. So, I don't know, just kind of vamp on that a little yeah uh i grew up uh rather conservative um rather being the key word there uh rock and roll music was the great evil of my childhood um we didn't listen to country music we didn't listen to rock and roll music we listened to southern gospel and christian radio um so i didn't really come into rock and roll music until i was in high school uh i would go over to my buddy steve harrell uh his house and his grandmother would actually buy him CDs that his mom didn't necessarily know about. And uh, the first album I ever recall hearing was Hysteria by Def Leppard. And I mean, if you're going to start out, yeah. that's a pretty good place to start out. But I don't have the background like you guys had growing up with the Beatles and, you know, all the rock and roll, all those great bands. Um, so I came in a little young i guess to it uh and i'm still i mean from high school to now hasn't even been 30 years yet that's true so you know there's still a lot of new out there for me and it's why i tend to lean towards probably the 80s and 90s as far as my what i listen to more than you know a lot of people in our area lean into that classic rock of course what we're talking about now pearl jam is considered classic rock now. That's crazy. So, that blows my mind yeah, that it's been um, that long. So I guess I do like classic rock. Um, but yeah, my, my background's a little bit different uh, from, well, it's probably the same as a lot of people in this area, um, but it's definitely different from the wider audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you mentioned it was like high school and then into the early 90s for you. So obviously that's that's where you know Pearl Jam drops right in is kind of right there at the beginning of your whole, um, I don't know what you would call it, your awakening almost, I guess, to what was out there. Yeah, the the whole, and I'm only going to use this term once, um, grunge scene. Um, 
to quote Stone Gossard, I don't use that word. Um, I was going to mention <clears throat> the whole grunge thing because I hate it too. Yeah. Um, that all started, you know, in like 88, 89 in Seattle. Uh, their underground music scene really started to get some attention. Um, Nirvana really was the first one, I believe, to get national attention along with Soundgarden. Um, so about my junior year, junior, senior year was when I started, when I would sneak and look at MTV, I started noticing these different bands and different videos coming on. Yeah. So um, we're just going to jump right into Pearl Jam. And the first question I have, and I'm going to ask it not in a way that mm -hmm. people usually do, but instead of saying how you got into it, I mean, we can all kind of, I was, I made it a little bit more specific in that, you know, what your first memory of Pearl Jam is, you know, where were you, what were you doing, how did it make you feel, and was it a particular song, so. Um, I would say, uh, most likely, Even Flow was the first song I ever heard, and I remember seeing the video, I was like, man, this is so cool, it's a live performance. Right. Like, it wasn't the enacted videos like the, the 80s had populated with. Um, <clears throat> Jeremy was probably the first video that really like struck me and hit home with me as far as their, their creativity. Um, but to be honest, the first quasi Pearl Jam song I ever really loved was, uh, Temple of the Dog, uh, Hunger Strike, um, which is an, is a fun story. Uh, if you ever look into that, as far as how that came to be, but once Hunger Strike hit, that's when Pearl Jam really took off. And we started hearing songs like "Even Flow," "Jeremy Alive." Right. Uh, that's uh, "Hunger Strike" is one of my favorite ever, for sure. Um, just you know, his, his voice and Chris's voice together, just uh, amazingly magical. Yeah, yeah, and Chris brought Eddie into that as kind of a favor to his friends. Yeah. And a lot of the Seattle music scene at that point there's there's some there's some contention as to whether it was really a nice scene as far as them helping each other out but definitely Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were in that that clique of groups where they they would bring somebody new in if they just you know had the word of the rest of the band yeah and, and you know speaking of that like I was thinking about this like how all of those groups just whether it's Pearl Jam or Nirvana or Alice in Chains or Soundgarden, they all get lumped together, but they weren't really completely lumped together, even in their yeah. own scene. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I kind of feel like that scene, uh, the, the Seattle music scene then was so diverse um, because you had a band from each genre, really. I mean, if you look at it, Nirvana was that Northwest screamy punk music. That was, right. if you go back and look at like Green River or Mudhoney, that's where Nirvana fits. Um, Pearl Jam, oddly enough, was the straight ahead, I guess, mainstream group because they were the easiest one to play on radio. And yeah. I think they take some flack for that. Um, but you don't hear them on the radio now. No. And they're still around. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, d I definitely agree with that. They were... Um, you know, coming out of the eighties, they were, they were different, but the least different of what everybody was hearing. Yeah. I mean, just, you, you mentioned even flow mm -hmm. that just sounds like a straight ahead rock and roll song. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, the reason being is, uh, I mean, Eddie, his favorite band in the world is the who he always wanted to sell out arenas like the who. And so, you know, when you have that influence, you're going to more line up with that influence than, you know, say Soundgarden, which was a little more hardcore, um, even though 
you know, they had a dude who could sing the phone book and you'd want to hear it. They were right. still one of the hardest bands of that scene. Um, probably ended up being even more famous than all the rest of them by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think I'd heard that thing about him loving the who it makes a lot of sense because when I think about Roger Daltrey as a singer, even though their voices are completely different, man, they kind of, you can tell that, yeah. you know, when probably when Eddie started singing, he probably patterned himself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Eddie's got that very, uh, distinct voice um which we can go ahead and jump into that you you mentioned on your birthday podcast that you blamed kurt cobain for the post-grunge movement right um i don't i blame eddie um with all my love i blame eddie um but i don't blame him fully uh eddie has a a dynamic range no one that followed him had that same but range. But I know what you're going to say. It's it's his baritone thing that, yeah. that spun off into these other bands. His, his is a, an actual baritone. Right. The rest of them are baritone, though. Right. Because they're copying him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but, you know, you could blame Crash Test Dummies for that. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there was you could blame Johnny Cash for that or Elvis for that, but those guys weren't necessarily faking it like Scott Stapp. <laughs> right. Yeah, or or that. Yeah, any of there's. I I don't even remember who all I named on my birthday podcast or whichever podcast it was. I think I've talked about it a couple of times, but yeah, there was a bunch of them like Puddle of Mud, and of course, I always think that they were. He was trying to rip off Kurt a little bit more, but he also did the Eddie thing. Um, yeah, I mean they. I I I'll agree with you. I I I was just trying to be a little nicer to Eddie because I like I like them so much better than Oh, I I Nirvana. agree with you. Um but you know, it's it's inadvertently Eddie's fault. Um a long way into it, I believe. At the end of the day, it is, you know, the people who actually put that crap in our ears. It's their fault. Yeah. Yeah, Scott had to stab his pants on us. Yeah, yeah. Muddle of Pud had to do their thing. <laughs> God, I hate those fucking people. <laughs> All right, cool. So, um, that yeah, that that first answer kind of it probably mirrors exactly how I first heard Pearl Jam too. I, actually, I honestly, I'm pretty sure it was a Jeremy video for me. I don't know that I remember hearing Even Flow first, even though I know it did come before. But um, yeah, I, I remember the Jeremy video just shocking awe, man. I mean. They were doing something on MTV that nobody, except for maybe those crappy metal, dark metal bands on Headbangers Ball were doing as far as like shock value. But Yeah, J- Jeremy was, uh, and I don't know, uh, without going into everything about that story, but, you know, Jeremy was a very striking story from the realism because he, he took it out of a paper out of Texas. Right. Uh, you know, the story and adapted it. It's not, it's kind of like the Lifetime movie version of the real story. Uh, they adapted yeah. it. It's not the exact same. Um, right. But the the shocking piece of that is that it's true. Yeah. And, you know, it, that touches on bullying, that touches on uh, mental health issues, uh, all yeah. things that Pearl Jam is, right. you know, and it's been true for thousands of times since, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's like something that's over and over. Um, yeah. Pretty heavy stuff, especially, you know, coming right out of the 80s. And that's why, um, or one of the reasons why there was such a stark contrast between the days of 
you know, Poison and Motley Crue to the days of Pearl Jam and Nirvana. So the next thing I wanted to ask, and I, this is a question that I always ask everybody on these things because, I don't know, it's just fun to put somebody on the spot and make them pick something from uh, a group that they love and while telling them this is the only thing you ever get to listen to for the rest of your life from this band. Um, I, this was probably a hard question for you, but yeah, if there was one Pearl Jam album that you could only hear that one for the rest of your life and no others, uh, what would it be? And, and why is it so important that it would be that album? That is a hard question. Um, a lot of the, the way that I have loved Pearl Jam is in seasons of my life. And so, you know, 10 of course speaks to that early teenage angst, yeah. all that, you know, angsty, shit stuff um but then you know as i moved forward it for a while it became the yield album uh like the song given to fly is about you know showing who you are being who you are um i totally remember being in love with that album yeah and vitalogy of course is i mean i'd put that up against some of the greatest albums ever uh but my favorite right now because of the season i'm in um you didn't say how long I'd have to stay on the island. Um, I assume it's like lost and I have to, I have to be there through all eternity. But uh, Yeah, and, and you know the people in the hatch are not going to have any more Pearl Jam albums. They are not. So it's only this one. Yeah, um, I'm going with No Code. Um, right I now, knew it. I right knew now, that was going to be it. Right now, No Code fits where I am in life. Um, just from the first song, Hell, Hell, all the way down uh, that entire... Uh, it's got some punk on it. It's got some stuff that was heavily influenced by Neil Young since they had that partnership for a while. There's a couple songs on there that I would swear Neil Young actually played on. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Uh, but, you know, it, it's probably their most diverse because they were trying not to be that band they had started out being. Yeah. And um, that's kind of where I am in this season of my life is trying not to be who I started out being. And uh, so that album overall speaks to me, and I'd say that's the one I'd take with me. You mentioned Neil Young, and me and Robbie used to talk about this because um, just, you know, full disclosure, and you know it, I, I mean, I love Pearl Jam's music, even up until now, the new stuff. But as a um, constant listener, I kind of checked out after Vitalogy, and that's around the time that they started to do some stuff with Neil, and I always felt like Neil ruined them. But that was a different time in my life too. Obviously, yeah. I mean that's what yeah. that's mid late nineties and yeah, and you know I I was a completely different person than I am now. I mean at the time I didn't really care much for Neil Young. These days love Neil Young. Yeah, and, I'm I'm Neil Young's on that list of bands that I'm supposed to like that I don't. Yeah, and there are some others there that you can flog me for later. Uh, but um, <laughs> Neil Young did really change the band, and they admit to that. Um, yeah. the band the band behind Eddie became more forceful with what they wanted to do in the songwriting and everything because Neil made them feel important by taking them out on the road and right. recording mirror ball. Um, yeah. and, uh, so I, you know, I, I'm glad his influence is there. Um, and, but you're right after, after Vitalogy, probably, you know, maybe the avocado albums up there for me until we get, get to the last album, lightning bolt, I can't think of another one that would be near my top five out of the 10 right. uh, after Neil got involved. So you may be onto something with that. Yeah. Um, 
And here's the thing. I kind of was almost certain that before we got to question number three, you would mention Neil Young. And that's why I put this question at number three, (laughs) because um, they were already, before Neil Young, they were already kind of filling out themselves with, you know, politics and social awareness and things like that, especially Eddie, obviously. I mean, he's the front man. He's, you know, they were already doing that. Kind of picked up after Neil. Neil was always that artist, you know, lots of protest songs, lots of social commentary, you know, pissing off uh, Leonard Skinner and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so all that said, um, how has the politics of Pearl Jam figured into you as a fan? Um, early on, I didn't care. Um, I liked them because I liked them. Yeah. Um, and, and at that point, you know, my worldview was way different than it is now. So as my worldview has shifted and I see things in a, in a different way from how I was raised, you know, all those kinds of things, uh, growing up in church, all of that, um, to, you know, where it is now, I appreciate the, the fact that they take this platform that they have and they share their worldview with people. I don't know. I don't like calling it politics because we call everything politics. Yeah. I, I, I don't so, like the word. That's why yeah. I kind of tried to say like social awareness and just the whole good of man yes. really is what and, the discussion should yeah, be. Yeah, and they've really tapped into that. I mean, you look at a song like Glorified G, which is talking about gun control. Yep. They were doing that before, you know, now gun control is one of the major topics. That was have, even but, before uh, Columbine. Yes. Um, they were already on that tip, um, kind of pushing, you know, their worldview. And so, you know, I don't think a lot about their politics because – Mostly my worldview is extremely close to theirs. Right. So they don't necessarily challenge me because they already did yeah. at one point and, and I'm there. Um, but the only time I really think about it is whenever we hear somebody say, gosh, I wish you'd just shut up and sing. Right. And those are usually the people who love Ted Nugent and only, <laughs> lis- only listen to the Star Spangled Banner from the Woodstock album, you know? And right. so I... I I believe that they are a political band. I know they are a political band. Um, Eddie will not let you forget that they are a political band. And I think that's great. And I support that. Yeah. Um, so, like, you, you don't think, has it ever taken away from their music, do you think? Um, no. Um, I think that, especially, the, the, they released a single a couple years ago that was, I believe, supposed to be like the lead in for a new album. And then Cornell died. And, right. uh, that, uh, I, I believe that had an untold effect on Eddie. Um, but then it was, can't deny me. And it was just a straight, like it came off of, you know, a, a 1970s English punk album. It felt, you know, just very, uh, it was political leaning. It was strong. It was, you know, I believe something that Eddie really wanted to do at that point. And no, I don't, I think it's made them better in some ways. I do too. If you run out of interesting topics, what are you going to write songs about? Yeah. You know, you mentioned, uh, being in a different, you know, uh, like your worldview being different and, and, and all that. And I'm saying like our, our, our story, as far as that goes, the way we grew up in church and things like that. So, yeah. So back in the nineties and as I'm becoming an adult and I'm, still carrying all the baggage of, you know, my childhood as far as, you know, the way I see the world and the politics of my parents and all those sort of things. Then it turned me off 
and that's probably why I, you know, I'd probably, that's probably why I jumped off the train after Vitalogy, yeah. which is super important. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> your fault, right? I mean, I thought I was, I thought it was, you know, what I was supposed to do. Oh, I can't, you know, I can't support these yeah. guys. Listen to what they're doing. I mean, you know, you see Eddie out there talking about something that, um, you know, would make my parents, you know, yeah. lose their, I lose mean, their freaking minds. And, and, and I'm still, even though I'm now in my twenties, I'm still in that world. Yeah. And so that's, it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, it's one of those things where, uh, especially here in the South where we live, it's, it's hard to move past those things. And I'm glad we did, but I do think as far as for me, it probably messed up a lot of, a lot of things I could have enjoyed. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And you know, you living in this area and it's one of the reasons I've, fleed this area um in the past and i always come home um i believe that this is to borrow a term uh, god's country i love east tennessee um but you always have that pull back to that very rural very conservative point of view because that's what's here that's what everybody believes here and you know you i can't talk a lot about Pearl Jam with a lot of people in the area because they are, I mean, their first ever really live performance on MTV, the unplugged, he wrote pro choice on his arm and marker. Yeah. I mean, from album one, they were political Yeah. and a lot of people hate them for that reason. Um, and I feel bad for those people. I mean, do they like the Beatles? Yeah. You know, right. (laughs) Uh, they, you know, uh, for, for most people, the, the music of their youth is safe, no matter what it said, because it was of their youth. But they get older, and nothing's safe anymore. That's why, you know, that's why old men turn into get off my lawn guys, because it, you know nothing's safe anymore. Um, all right, so we're like three questions in, and I wanted to drop some songs in here and there. And so, I think because we agreed that we love Hunger Strike so much, let's let's drop Hunger Strike in. You want to intro it? Hunger Strike. Uh, this is uh, basically Pearl Jam and Chris Cornell. Uh, Chris, uh, after the death of Andy Wood, Mother Love Bone, uh, really took to Eddie and uh, brought Eddie under his wing. And this was the first Olive Branch. Yep. So here it is Hunger Strike. <laughs>
Okay, great song. All right, uh, next question, uh, and I expect that you will um, you'll have lots of good stuff to say here because um, I know you, I've not seen them live. I know that you have, and I love to hear about you know the experience of seeing one of one of your favorite bands. I don't care who you are. If if you've seen your favorite band and you got a story to tell me or you just want to talk about it, I think that's some of the best stuff to hear. So yeah, tell us a little bit about. I know it was like a huge deal to you. I remember. Yeah, I spent like a good six months telling everybody how awesome it was on repeat. Um, I got to see them finally in uh, 2016, and I know that's a long way, a long time to wait, um, but that's just how life worked out. Uh, they were playing in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, Bon Secours Arena, April 16th, which also just happened to be Record Store Day. Oh, yeah, that's right. So we, we went to Greenville early, visited a couple record stores, had some awesome barbecue, uh, which is easy to find in Greenville. Um, I guess the the best way to talk about this album is just to go straight to it. They started with Corduroy, one of my top five favorite songs by them. Um, it was right after they, they played that song, our buddy Ima turned to me and said, well, that's my favorite song. I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was worried they wouldn't play that one. Uh, but immediately and it took me three songs to catch on to what they were doing they went into the versus album and played the entire album straight through and oh sweet they've played a, over a thousand shows and this is a rarity uh, i think they've only played verses all the way through twice ever 
some of their albums only once. They don't do this often, but it was record store day. Right. So I, I kind of hit the jackpot. Um, I'm extremely emotional about music that I love. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those, and, and I saw an article on this just a couple weeks ago. It, it's rare that people actually get chills from hearing music. Like if you get chills, you're wired differently from other people. And I believe that fully. If you know me at all, you know, I'm wired differently. Um, So I was basically incredibly emotional, um, singing along, crying at times. And the only other situation I can think of that it went down like this was uh, when I saw you two for the first time. And the only difference was, is I was motionless for you two. I actually moved around and sang along when it came to Pearl Jam. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, every emotion that night, the, uh, the only downer to the whole evening was, uh, they played last kiss and that, that is a prelude to a, a future question, but I done, I didn't care for that. Um, but, oh, we can, we can wrap that one in here. Yeah. yeah so I've got, yeah, I was, Asking Ernie um, in my little list here, is there any one song? Because everybody, um, I don't care how much you love your band. I'm a huge Beatles fan, and um, my friend Craig Smith uh, from the Pods and Sods Network, me and him completely agree on this, that Honey Don't is the absolute worst. Of course, it's a Carl Perkins cover, but it's the absolute worst uh, Beatles song that I could just stand to never, ever, ever hear. So I guess for you with Pearl Jam, It'd be Last be- Kiss, which is also a cover. Um, it's not an original song. Um, and it usually works out that way. Yeah. That the worst thing that somebody does, sometimes it can be the best thing that they do. Yeah. But, yeah. but it seems like a lot of times it works out to where their worst songs are their covers. Yeah. Cause I believe they did three covers that night. Um, they did that. They did comfortably numb, which was great. And they did, uh, Bob O'Reilly, which yeah. is pretty much permanently on every set list for them now for reasons we spoke about earlier. Um, they played 33 songs that night. Um, and so, you know, I was two hours and 45 minutes into it, almost three hours before we got out. Um, we toasted with a dogfish head Pearl Jam 20 beer that was made on their tw- for their 20th anniversary. I'd saved that six years to drink because I said I would not drink it until I saw them. Um, it was it was really just an emotional, very, very fun night that uh, that I will never forget and i refuse to let my wife forget it pearl jam is one of those great bands that releases every one of their albums as a, an official bootleg right and so i, I wanted to, and i wanted to i play that in the make, car pretty much make sure constantly. we talked about that because yeah. that's one of the great things about if you get to go see pearl jam live you can get an official bootleg from yes. the show that's that's one of the to me that's one of the greatest things that they do but uh, back to last kiss I despise that song too, and it's I was so I was almost certain that you were going to pick that one, but I will say this: my main memory, and it's not like a specific moment in time of Last Kiss, and it was, and I have not looked this up, but it had to be released like ninety nine ish, ninety eight. Thought it was later than that, two thousand. It yeah, it was somewhere in that area because it was out while me and you and Ron all worked at Charter, and. Uh, when I, it's weird when I think about all of our, um, at work, um, yeah, l- looking up music and stuff like that. I, for, for some reason, I just, that one pops out to me that it was out around that time, but it had to be I, 2000, I, yeah. 2000. Yeah. yeah. So I knew it was around that time. 
I, I don't think that I hated it so much as I do now then, but I've never really, really cared for it. It's uh, it's one thing to do a cover. It's another thing to do a cover that is not even close to true to who you are, which is, which is weird about the Beatles. Honey, don't. At the time they did, it was kind of true to what they were, but it's just a shit song, man. Just like Last <laughs> Kiss. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my other song that I... I'm going to lose cred. I'm losing street cred with this one. Um, I cannot stand Yellow Lead Better. Really? Yes. Um, and it's overplay. That's it, what has done it well, for me. Well, I mean, um, that, that, that'll that happen. It's it's on a lot of live albums. Um, if you listen to the Pearl Jam channel on Sirius XM, it's like every sixth song. Right. It's, you know, it's their inner Sandman. It's well, that yeah, it's, one song. It's like similar for me. I'd... I, I can be fine to never hear Sweet Child of Mine again. And, you know, I used to love that song, and that's like the one. That's the song, right? I mean, yeah. that's the song. And Yellow Butter kind of is one of the songs. Yes. Uh, so I guess I'm not too shocked because, yeah, any, anything that gets overplayed eventually, whether you love it or not, I mean, you can only eat steak so many nights in a row. So... What's that number? I've not found it yet. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> 20 years? I don't know. <laughs> But uh, that's, that's interesting, but it does it does make a lot of sense. While we're talking about l- live shows, um, and I know you've kept up with so many of the bootlegs, I'm sure. You've got probably a shit ton of them. If you don't have them digitally, you've got them on vinyl or whatever. So knowing that you have a pretty good knowledge of their live shows, um, are there any songs that they rarely do live that you think they should you know kind of add more regularly if not every show but more regularly yeah uh i do i mean i have a lot of live recordings especially now that uh, you know vinyl since i've taken up vinyl as a world domination ploy or whatever it is uh you know they release a vault every year of their own 380 gram lps usually uh, it's really well mixed really well pressed you can get everything they ever done on you know online downloaded right there's even a website dedicated to just streaming live pearl jam shows so you can hear everything but i had to actually go to uh and i'll get you the url i don't remember it right off uh but it actually keeps track of every concert and every set list from every concert and then gives you data to tell you you know which ones they play the most and which ones they don't and i was surprised um First off, uh, the song that I would want to hear that they wrote would be Swallowed Whole. Um, it's only been played 15 times out of 1,000 cons- oh, concerts. Oh, wow. Um, and I love that song. Uh, the one that they didn't write, um, and they've played it 30 or 40 times, is Crown of Thorns, uh, originally by Mother Love Bone. And, uh, I love that song so much. I love that one. Um, if I you, would understand. I understand why they would keep that rare, but it's unfortunate. Well, the, the story behind that actually came out on the Pearl Jam 20th documentary that Cameron Crowe did. Um, he asked Eddie, you know, in their first decade at some point, you know, what is there a, is there a Mother Love Bone song you'd like to do? And he said, uh, there is, and uh, I'll figure out the right time to do it. Never said it. And at their 10th anniversary show, they played Crown of Thorns for the first time. 
and that song is just yeah i'm it, sure it's like super sacred and yeah yeah they're, they're just not going to do something that sacred a lot of times you just but as but it, it should be uh, yeah. andy wood was a god in seattle he right. was the next big thing they were going to take yeah. over the rock and roll universe and then he tragically died of an overdose yep. which is true of a lot of bands from that era yeah um do you, can I find a digital copy of them doing Crown of Thorns live? I'm sure I can. Uh, yeah, it's on Spotify. Okay. I know. I will find it too. I'm going to drop it in right here because that's that's a really good, really good song. But yeah, I'll find I'll find them doing it live and uh, drop it in right here. So here's Crown of Thorns by Pearl Jam. It's a kind that moves on. It's a kind that leaves me alone. 
Okay, just uh, got a few questions left, and that'll probably create more questions. But um, so, um, let's see, Pearl Jam, they are in the Rock Hall of Fame? Yes, they were yeah. inducted, I, I know it was two recent. years ago. Yeah, I, I usually keep up with all that. I just want to make sure I was right on that. Uh, I know you did a lot of, um, not necessarily research, but organizing your thoughts on this. I have done uh, nothing because this was for you to talk and me to listen and learn some stuff. But, I mean, they are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, they have sold millions upon millions of albums. Um, you know, all, all the stats and milestones are there, right? But but where do you think that they stand in the overall history of rock? Um, and and I can even I can even nail that down more for you as we talk, but... When I when I think of that, I think of uh, you know I, I think of the greats, and that's very subjective. And so I want to I want to see where you put them in in just the overall history. Like, what is their place? I think the best way to think about them in the history of rock and roll is that um, they, uh, along with the Foo Fighters, are the bridge for rock and roll from the early nineties to now. Um, right now, arguably we don't have a lot of great rock and roll bands, right? Just straight ahead rock and roll. We have some fantastic indie bands. Mm -hmm. We have pop music is on the rise and there's some really good pop bands, but as far as good old American rock and roll, there's not a lot of it anymore. And so I kind of stick Pearl Jam in there as, um, kind of ambassadors of their era along with being one of the great American rock and roll bands of all time. Um, but as far as like putting a gauge on where they sit, um, I'd put them somewhere, you know, rolling stones in the way that they've approached their career. They've always changed. They've always been relevant. It feels like they're always going to be around. Right. Um, not that I necessarily want to see a 90 year old Eddie hobbling around on stage like but Mick Jagger, there's but there's a good chance, you yeah. know, there's a good chance I, that could happen. Yeah. And so I, I would put them in that, you know, that grouping. I'm not saying they're as good as the stones or better than the stones for any stones apologists sitting out there. Yeah. Um, but for me, they're obviously, you know, one of the top 10 bands of all time. They just happen to be my favorite. All right. And definitely the best band of the nineties. Yeah, yeah, easily. I, I, can't, I, yeah. I can't think of anybody else. The Foo Fighters came along a little bit later, and, and obviously I'm a bigger fan of theirs. But even the early stuff, it was really kind of hit or miss. But, yeah, I think they were probably were the greatest of the 90s. And if you if you rule a decade, I mean, you've, you've, carved, you've, you've carved your spot in, yeah, that, into that rock and did. roll. Uh, the 90s was uh, – I've grown to love the 90s a whole lot more uh, because I graduated in 92 – um, three of the best albums ever were released my freshman year. And then Pearl Jam came out my junior year. So it, it, in retrospect, I look back a little bit more longingly at the nineties music than perhaps I did before I got to this point. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great bands that came out of the post grunge movement besides, you know, the crap we talked about earlier. Oh yeah. Like Stone Temple Pilots were Candle awesome. Box, yeah, Candlebox. Uh, yeah. Who were around at the same time as Pearl Jam, but they were under 18, so they couldn't play in the bars. Right. You know, you got those bands, you got 
a band who's becoming a stalwart now is like Gin Blossoms. They're still around and they're still playing live and they're still good, but you don't expect people to, you know, bring that up. So a lot of those 90 bands have grown on me or I've come to read their story. And that's what, what really helps me gauge where a band is. What is their story? Yeah. And of all the bands I know and love, Pearl Jam has one of the most interesting origin stories out there. You know, the, the way they came up, Eddie was an outsider from California. Andrew Wood died. It took a lot of confluence for them to come together and do this. If Andrew, if Andy Wood had lived, we'd be talking about Mother Love Bone right now. Right. Um, you know, if they hadn't liked Eddie's demo, we wouldn't be talking about Pearl Jam ever. Yeah. So a lot of things had to come together. You know, uh, Mike McCready had decided he was never going to play guitar again. Um, a lot of things happened around that time. And so the origin story is important for me. And that's why I can put them up there with, you know, the stones yeah. bands like that. Uh, totally. I totally agree with, um, a band's story. Um, I mean, it, it's, it is, um, not as important as the music they create, but man, it's, it's way up there because they don't even create the music that they create without how it happened. And, you can just go through so many of the great bands and they all, it's just like, you know, it's like the Beatles or they almost would never even met each other. It was just this confluence of all these things. And then boom, you got this band and I didn't know all that about, you know, Pearl Jam. So, yeah. Uh, and, and would hysteria have ever been released if their drummer hadn't lost an arm? Right. You or, don't have that. You don't or have if they those didn't, drums. Right. Or if they didn't stick by him. And exactly. If they hire another drummer, it's the same album. They're just a, another rock, English rock and roll band that, you know, yeah. they're pretty good. Right. Yeah. I I love that. I love that idea. The, the idea that, that that a band's story is, is that important. You were talking about, like, the 90s and rock and roll, and um, I have a greater appreciation for lots of music from the nineties these days as well. And it's funny. And you know, it's like nostalgia is a 20 year thing. Right. So, mm-hmm. so now we're 20 years out from that. And so it's, it's harder to look back to your teen years through the lens of like your twenties, you know, right. It's like, yeah, it's like you're looking back over your life as a 40 something, almost 50 year old person. And yeah, your teenage memories are still there and you still share all the stories, but now you've got all this other personal history from now right, until right. then. And it's, and so it's harder to get all the way back there without stopping along. And I've got a, a lot more appreciation for the nineties, but here's what, uh, here's the, the thing that popped in my head when you mentioned, uh, like candle box and, and I mentioned like stone temple pilots and, you know, some of those, those bands that, and <laughs> Here, here's here's how I want to here's how I want to like broach it. So, um, it always felt like then that bands like that, like say a Candlebox, a Stone Temple Pilots, um, even the more like poppy alternative, whatever you want to call it, like Gin Blossoms, like you mentioned, or Better Than Ezra, or any of that. All of that stuff felt like it was more slick than Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and it was. <clears throat> Definitely more slick than Nirvana, but now that I've got a little time, it wasn't any slicker, right? The the production of those Pearl Jam albums was 
if you know it wasn't immaculate nothing is but it was really good production yeah and and you know so i guess my question is why do you think that it feels like some of those other bands like everything was more like more slick and more you know more la more and it it probably probably was more la um right i I guess i'm sure that it was like it's most like you know like stone temple pilots they're from like san diego or wherever but like when I say L.A., like, it's, like, production-wise, like, I guess it just always felt like it was grittier, but it wasn't. So why was that? I think I know why I think it was. I'm wondering what you think. Well, if you if you look at 10, that was that was a very gritty album uh, for me. And it, that's, when I think of the term, I don't, we, did, we won't mention grunge, <laughs> even though I mentioned it, um, that's that album is 10 it was it was hard rock it was distortion it was dirty sounding but then you move into something like you know vitalogy and yield and they're more polished right and so my theory is to answer the question is why did stone temple pilots gin blossoms all those bands sound cleaner more polished and it's the radio it it, it, yeah Pearl Jam has always done what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. A band like the Gin Blossoms just wanted to get out there and be famous for whatever that reason was. And the best way to do that is to get your music on the radio. And so I believe that sometimes, and I'm not, I'm not slamming Gin Blossoms. I love that band. Uh, But I believe that sometimes producers and the talking heads at the radio at, at the labels, uh, once grunge became mainstream, it started sounding prettier. Right. And it was no longer grunge. And I believe that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I, I, I don't know. Just It's funny to look at those things now as opposed to then. And, um, of course, um, you know, we have remasters now, too, that make it sound even better. But, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know. I think some of the grittiness probably just came from they were writing better songs than those other people that's that's more real that's extremely possible um like it's so like their music just felt more real than say you know you know you take a song like um even flow or anything off of 10 and compare it to say um creep or um, interstate love song by stone to a pilots or, or, or even plush. No, probably not plush. That one sounds a little, little more like the other stuff, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, you take those and hold them together and the production quality is very similar, but one just seems like it's a little bit more real than the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe it's possible in that punch post grunge, uh, you know, the building an album at that point, you were looking to be the next big thing. Stone Temple Pilots wanted and succeeded in being the next big thing after Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Nirvana. Um, and those bands succeeded. They they came in and they took the place on the radio and in album sales that was left when bands like Pearl Jam fought Ticketmaster. Right. And, you know, their album sales went down when Kurt Cobain died. There were there were holes to be filled there, and they did that, and they yeah. did that successfully. That's a great point. But also, you know, why does London Calling sound dirtier than uh, Enema of the State? They're both punk music. Right. But one of them was created, you know, early on. It was the real deal yeah. creation of something here. And the other is 
an evolution of it. Yeah. And so you see that even in Pearl Jam's discography, there's an evolution. If you put Lightning Bolt next to 10, obviously 10 is the grittier, dirtier album. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they've gotten older just like the rest of us. Yes. So they, they, they're, they never stay the same. Um, we wouldn't want them to. I don't want I don't want Eddie singing songs like what's on ten right now. I just don't. They're pretty we, good live though. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying like <laughs> we don't as, as a like he's thing, already created yeah. that. Create, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad they are one of those bands that create something else. And and your uh, comparison to the Stones is super on point because that's why they're still around and probably why they will be around till they're in their seventies because yeah. because they will change. Some people don't like it when uh, when they change too much or or go you know go with the uh, you know whatever's hot now and this that and the other you know it's funny like the rolling stones have never gotten dinged for that but but paul mccartney has just been raked over the damn coals for it um pearl jam thankfully for them because they've done everything their own way nobody can ever make an argument about it like yeah, the, the, they can they can never because they've always like you said earlier they've always done it the way they're going to do it so. yeah they've always been the world's biggest independent band yeah. Even when they were on a label. Yeah, um, so they can never, they could, they, they, no, nobody can ever knock them for, um, for evolving and changing. And sometimes, you know, hooking into something that something else that's out there. I just think that that's smart artistry. So, well, all the great bands have evolved. They've changed. They've done their, they've paved their own path. The Beatles did that. Um, that year they grew mustaches. I mean, that, that was great. And, you know, <laughs> Zeppelin did that from album to album. Oh, they yeah. evolved. They changed. All the great bands change. Um, and, you know, the Stones are great, but they're more great because of their longevity and their musical ability than they are because they necessarily have evolved because yeah. they've kind of stayed the same. Yeah. Yeah, they were just always willing to do, do like, you know, like a song like Miss You, like right in, right in the middle of disco. Like, yes. hey, we'll, let's do a disco yeah. song and have a hit. And heck, heck yeah, they yeah. did. Um, yeah, um, I, 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 I do like that that idea, though. So, cool, cool. All right, so uh, just one one last thing, and it, it may be hard because we've, we've actually touched a lot of ground, but... Um, just a uh, final argument on why everybody should be a fan of their music. I submit to everyone to look up on the internet, the mama son trilogy. And that are, those are the three songs that Eddie used on his original demo. They are alive once and footsteps. Um, they were written based on his life. Uh, he grew up with a father. He did not know was not his didn't realize until his actual father passed away that that was his dad. Mm -hmm. um, and so Alive is actually about that. Um, and then Once and Footsteps take it even further uh, down the line that he didn't go down, but <laughs> an obvious storyline that you could. Um, and the reason I point that out is because if a band, if a songwriter can be that honest, can be that open, and challenge you with lyrics and with music, there's no reason why you should not give them a chance. Uh, they don't have to be your favorite. You can say that you don't like Eddie's voice and then go listen to Johnny Cash. I'm fine with that. Yeah. You can, you know, you can say that, you know, whatever you want to about the band, just give them a shot now that, especially when you're older, because I've loved them more and more the older I've gotten. Um, put the politics aside if that's what offends you. Put it all aside. Give yeah. them an open chance. And I would say that with any band. 
any band. Give them a shot. You might find your next favorite band. True. Truth. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. That's that's a that's a very good argument. Uh, I will never say that. Um, I'll never tell you that. Uh, you know, lo- looking at looking at them as people is a bad way to sell their music. Exactly. You want real stuff. You want real music yeah. about real things. And I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, I mentioned Blink One Eighty Two in a the state, and I love some Blink One Eighty Two. Um, you know, but that music's about nothing to me. Um, and I know it means stuff to other people, mm-hmm. but for me, it's, it's not personal enough. It's, right. you know, it's, but I throw it on when I'm at the gym and listen to it, you know? Yeah. So, but when I'm sitting by myself with my headphones on and I want to put an album on the turntable, I want something that makes me feel something, something that I know is unique and genuine. Right. And I've always found that with Pearl Jam. Yeah, so this has been uh, lots of fun. Ernie, thank you for coming. Um, I'm, we've talked about doing this forever. Uh, it's it's always good to talk to somebody who has a band they love and uh, they're just willing to talk about it. And, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe we do a part two on this because I, there's plenty of ground to cover. I don't know. We'll just see. Yeah, let's hit the whole genre. Yeah, I mean, we can, we can, do, a, we can do a part two, so... Um, anyway, so that's that's it for this episode. As always, you can find us on all the uh, internets out there, the iTunes, uh, any podcasting app you might use, any service. We're on Podbean. Uh, our uh, website is audiobiopc.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter at audiobiopc. And you can catch uh, episodes just like this. We sit and talk with folks and uh, find out what they love, why they love it, and why we need to. So until next time, this is Richie signing out. Peace and love.